0: Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, November 8th, 2017. Today we're reading from the Big Book, and we're in the forward to the second edition, and we're at page XV, paragraph 3. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, tens and P, for the 12 traditions, Susan O, and reading the text, Artina S, Lisa B. and Rachel W. The reference numbers for Tuesday, November 7th, are 10645 and 10647. That's 10,645 and 10,647 for the, I'm sorry, for the 7 a.m. is 10,645 and for the 10 a.m. is 10,647. OA Preamble. O Breeders Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tenzin P to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. Tenzin P calling in from
1: outside of New York City. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. 6 were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible Well, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you, Tenzin. I will now ask Susan O. to read the 12 Traditions.
2: Good
3: morning. This is Susan from the Connecticut shore. Uh, Gratefully recovered the 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me
0: do service. Thank you, Susan. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the Big Book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume a study of the Big Book on page XV, paragraph three, that's in the forward to the second edition. I will ask Tina S. to begin reading.
4: Thanks, Katie, uh, for your service, Tina S., recovered compulsive eater anorexic in Florida. The spark that was to flare flare into the first AA group was struck at Akron, Ohio in June, 1935, during a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician. Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience, following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of the day. He had also been greatly helped by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, a New York specialist in alcoholism, who is now accounted no less than a medical saint by AA numbers, and whose story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages. From this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. Though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford groups, he was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief in and dependence upon God. Wow, what a mouthful. What a, uh, some great stuff in that one paragraph. You know, I love this uh, foreword, you know, it's the, the history of the first 20 years of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And and it talks about that spark, the seed that was planted from Abby Thatcher, who was the friend to to, um, Bill. And and it set off this explosion of growth for people that needed a solution. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I really like about this, that it tells me that, you know, this I cannot do on my own. It has to be something that I do with others. That Bill didn't just come up with this great idea, you know, that it was in the works, that it was divinely inspired, that it had started with the Oxford Group, and you know, it talks about the uh, the tenets here, and those are on page 263, of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and those are complete deflation, depl- deflation, deflation, dependence and guidance from a higher power, moral inventory, confession, restitution continued to work with other alcoholics. And, and from those six tenets, you know, uh, we have the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which which bring about a transformation. And it talks about the spiritual experience here. And um, and it also talks about Dr. Silkworth. With, without him, you know, we would not be here probably, you know. And uh, he's a medical saint, saint for sure, for sure. And I like the, the words that they, they use when use when they refer to uh, the disease of alcoholism, you know, the grave nature. You know, it's, this is deadly serious. You know, it, it's going to kill me, you know. And then I have to be convinced and I have to be completely certain. And that's what, what was happening here. That's what Bill was to have this, um, this movement, um, you know, grow into what it is today. And I'm real grateful to hear about, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot of historical stuff here. And I'm looking forward to that. So thanks for letting me share and I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Tina. Okay, we're on page XV in the forward to the second edition. On the uh, last paragraph on that page, the spark that was to flare. Uh, commenting on that paragraph, who would like to begin?
5: Harlan G.
2: Matts, Larry.
0: Okay. I have Harlan, Matt, same. Melissa. Okay. Okay, well, let's Lisa B. Go
6: with those. Lisa B. Uh Sandy C, Kingsland,
1: Georgia.
0: Elise Sandy C. Elise N. Elise N. Okay, let's go with those. Um seven. Harlan G, Matt M, Larry K, Melissa C, Lisa B, Sandy C, and Elise N. Okay, Harlan, you're up.
5: Thank you very much, Katie, and Katie, thank you for your service, and I also want to thank Team Wednesday for making this wonderful meeting possible. I'm glad to be here. I'm Harlan G. and I am a recovered, compulsive over and one of the most magnificent reasons that I can say today that I am a recovered, compulsive over reader is because of the guts and the knowledge and the dedication of William Duncan Silkworth we noticed that William B. Silkworth's name does not appear in the forward to the first edition. And we noticed that in the first 10 printings of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, his name is not in there. The book was written in 37 and 38 and was published in April of 39. And at that time, William Duncan Silkworth had already completed, upon Bill's request, the doctor's opinion. But it was published under this deal don't you dare put my name in there because Bill Wilson was told by Dr. Silkworth that if you put my name in there, they'll run me out of the medical profession. Now, why is that? We accept his opinion today. But in 1939, when the book was published, alcoholism was not defined by the American Psychiatric Association, the American Medical Association as an illness. It was thought to be a condition of stupidity, laziness, weak will, lack of character, lack of willpower, and so on. And in the first ten printings of the book AA of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says blank blank truly yours MD. In 1950 1949 excuse me 1949 Harry Tebow, the noted psychiatrist who appears in Appendix Three Harry Tebow wrote a paper in which the American Medical Association, American Psychiatric Association, accepted alcoholism as an illness. And in 1950, the 10th printing of the first edition of the big book of AA was on the presses, and Bill Wilson was told by Dr. Silkworth, okay, Bill, you can put my name in there now. And his name appears from that point forward, and he's mentioned in the forward to the second edition. But he put his reputation on the line He put his profession on the line, and he saved my life. He died in 51, but he remains, Dr. Silkworth remains, our great medical benefactor, the little doctor who loved drunks. Thank you, Dr. Silkworth, because I'm alive today because of you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Harlan. Okay, Matt M., you're up.
7: Here I am. Thank you, Katie, for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Madam, a over eater. And this doctor, the broker, had learned the grave nature of alcoholism, if it wasn't, like I said, for Dr. Silkworth, that Bill wouldn't be here and wouldn't have started AA, I wouldn't be here either. He learned the grave nature of the disease, that he had a mental illness, he had a mental uh, twist, and, and then he had a physical allergy, and he was able to go out and tell other people of, the, of those two things of the body, of the mind and the body. Um, he was not convinced of the need for he was convinced of the need for moral, moral inventory, confession of personality defects, steps, these are the steps that are coming from the Oxford tenants. It's amazing that um, they're starting to form right now with him in this. And, um, you know, he believed that uh, you need to have a dependence upon God as well, steps uh, three. And um, it's amazing that um, all these things just came together, are starting to come together to form this group that he met Dr. Bob and that uh, Bill W met Dr. Bob and started to form the groups of AA. It's a it's it's a it's a, it's a blessing that I've seen the hand of God and all of this, how everything just came together one step at a time to bring everything together so quickly, it seemed, it just spiraled. Uh, and It's amazing. If it wasn't for that, I said I want to be here today with that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Matt. Okay, Larry K., you're up, followed by Melissa C.,
2: Hey Katie, um thanks so much uh for your service. Larry K. I uh I am a uh recovered compulsive reader and I'm from Chicago. The um you know the the history we read takes us back it takes us to the same conclusions perhaps drawn by these early folks here. And um, you know, I had to realize that for me my alcoholic eating was different than than other habits that could be overcome by my own willpower. And no amount of desire to stop no amount of punishment no amount of heartfelt appeal by you know family members friends no stern warnings from uh, doctors none of those things will enable me to quit and we, and we'll, what was once a habit of you know uh, this habit of eating became an obsession of eating it was it became utter lunacy for me and you know it's interesting because many people still go on insisting that the compulsive overeater is not sick that that it's just simply you know they're weak you know weak willed or lacking moral fiber. Just push yourself away from the table for crying out loud! What's the matter with you? And even today we often hear the remark that that person could get well if she wanted to, if she really really wanted to. See, and there, there there's no doubt that this deeply obsessional character of of us compulsive overeaters that bingeing is obscured by the fact that it's socially acceptable, you know, it's a, it's an acceptable custom. Stealing's not an acceptable custom, shoplifting. You know, you've heard of a kleptomaniac. You know, yet they're they're under the absolute compulsion to steal just for the thrill. And see that kleptomaniac, they enter a store and they pocket something and they're arrested and they're taken to the police station if they're caught and they're stigmatized and humiliated. And just like the alcoholic mind, like ours, we swear that we're never, never going to do that again. And guess what? You know, we wander down the street, that person, past the department store, drawn inside. You see that shiny scarf and they pocket it. You know, and they pocket the scarf and and everyone recognizes that type of stealing is lunacy. Yet here you are pumping insulin day after day your relationships are non-existent you're relying on laxatives you're vomiting whatever you're doing you're walking running miles to compensate but you can't outrun this disease completely unmindful of the misery which accompanies the first bite see either i have to have i have the willpower or i don't and if i don't i'm going to need access how the steps same as before with that i'll pass thanks
0: Thank you, Larry. Okay, Melissa C., you're up, followed by Lisa B.
8: Hi, good morning. It's Melissa cii I, I'm concerned you might not be able to hear me. I might be in a bad spot if I drop the call. We can hear you right
0: now. Okay, okay
8: great. So I, it should be good then. Yeah, this is Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, you know, what what – the word that I really zone in on this morning is grave. Is that grave nature that this thing that we have that I have is deadly, you know? And yes, something eventually will kill me. You know, that's just that's that's the way that human beings are. So at some point I'm going to die. But this thing that I have, if left untreated, it is it is absolutely going to take me down, and it will do it in the most painful horrendous way and um you know like so yesterday my sister called me in the morning to um tell me about the passing of someone um a a cousin of her husband that I know really well who clearly has suffered with this same disease um and for years always they always made jokes she always made jokes her kids made jokes that she was taking her you know a yearly trip to the fat farm, or whatever it was, and you know this is no joke. She's dead. You know she's gone, and my sister um, was very upset, and she said, um, you know, she
9: sees that
8: um, her cousin's uh, daughters—they look like they've got this too—and and her heart is breaking for them. That this is that their belief that this is what is awaiting them. That this is all that awaits them, and so. You know, she asked me, um, "Please, I, you know, they always talk about you. Uh, your name always comes up. Um, you know, and I, and I urge her, please tell, you know, when they're when they're ready to hear it, um, or when they're not, tell them. You know, you can tell them to call me. You can pass my pass my number to them. Um, you know, I needed to know that this was grave, and and I, not only did I need to know that from my doctor that it was grave, but the, the message from Dr. Silkworth that I was never ever going to get on top of this thing on my own. <laughs> that that was hopeless.
9: That my
8: allergy of the body was not treatable from my own will. And my obsession of the mind was equally not treatable from my own will. That I needed to have an entire psychic change. I had to know that death the old Melissa, was the only solution that I had to say goodbye to that old personality and have an entirely new personality in order to recover. And thank you, God, that's my truth today. That's the message I can share. It is possible. Thank you. With that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Melissa. Okay, Lisa B., your turn and Sandy C., Good morning. This is Lisa B., a grateful, recovered,
9: compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you for your service. Um, Also the line, same line that people have been talking about is the grave nature of my alcoholism. And, you know, I know that my experience of my compulsive overeating and food addiction, that it's very possible to live a very long time um, not being uh, recovered, you know, and just to keep going through life untreated, unrecovered. And it really wasn't until I started working with someone that was recovered, you know, that suffered with this malady and starting to listen on this phone line of recovered voices. I had not heard recovered voices from compulsive overeating in the past. And I personally did not believe it was possible to live abstinent and be happy. Um, I've had relief, momentary relief, but I didn't think it was possible to really be free And um, the grave nature for me began to become more clear as I was working through this big book um, with my guide. And, you know, for a long time, I thought she was so much more worse than me, that she must be really sick, that she has to work so hard in these steps. But now I know today that was my disease. It's like it pulls this wool over my eyes. And the thing is, I'm in my mind, that's where my disease resides, and I don't know what I don't know. And the messages that I'm hearing in my mind is what I've been living with my whole life. And that set-aside prayer, you know, when we read We Agnostics, it talks about setting aside everything we think we know, being open. Um, I needed to grab onto that concept of open-mindedness, Like a life raft, you know, like my life depended on it. It was just this little string, you know, that I could grab onto that became a major source of strength for me. But I don't know what I don't know. And that grave nature for me, that's like how my disease operates. It tells me this isn't such a big deal. You're okay. This time it'll be different. Or you've been abstinent for a while. You'll you'll be able to do it this time. And watching other people eat, you know, without any consequences I I would see, oh, well, they're doing it, you know, but I don't know that that's a thought that goes on in my head. It's just this deep, hidden thought. And there's two things that I hear on this line that really speak to me. One is that I'm like a person um, going up a down escalator. I need to accept that that's My life, living these steps every day, is like going up a down escalator. And there is happiness and joy and freedom there. And the other thing is that I have a disease that tells me, an illness that tells me I don't really have one, that I'm not that bad, and at this
0: time it will be different. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa. Sandy C., you're up, followed by Elise M.
6: Thank you, Sandy C., a compulsive overeater and definitely sugar addict. Um, And this is my first meeting calling into um, and that I'm listening to. And um, I think I realized last night at our OA meeting um, and then listening to this today, and wow, just the words grave nature and realizing that, sorry, sorry, I have bronchitis. <clears throat> realizing that um, that how grave this is and that if I don't deal with this and work the steps and work the program and work it every day and that it's not, for me right now, it's not one day at a time, it's one moment at a time for me right now. And... Um, I like listening to the others that are recovered because it gives me hope. And there are days like today that's my first day of abstinence from sugar. Um, it's days like today when I'm real cryy, and I have already read the big book this morning, and um, I actually read the section just before uh, where the it starts um the twelve steps and the twelve traditions and um I really um just um just the grave nature of it that you know the doctors have told me look if you don't do this you're going to die and um now through the OA program and the meeting that we now have um here in Camden um I live in Kingland Georgia um that I'm realizing that how grave it is and that it is an illness and that it is a disease and that I have nothing to be ashamed of. I think I live so much time being ashamed. And I just thank God um, for the big book and for the people that started AA because without that, I wouldn't be here today and I wouldn't be on the phone with you because I wouldn't be already trying to work the, the, the first step and admit that powerlessness. So um, thank you for letting me share, and God bless you all for being
1: here. I, with that, I pass.
0: Thank you so much. Um, Sandy, okay, Elise Ann, you're up. Hi, um, <clears throat>
10: this is Elise, and um, if my sponsor didn't tell me I had to claim my seat, I probably wouldn't be talking. Um I'm the same as the last person that talked. I'm not recovered yet. I've been in program about 28 years. I had absence, um, back-to-back absence for about six and a half of them, and then I fell off. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't thank um, Dr. Silkworth and also um, Leah, the person that started the vision meetings and the vision meetings, um, for... Everything they've done for me and for the program. I was at the Vision um, Convention um, and uh, I was happy to meet different people. Now, when people are talking, I can put a name to the faces, name to the voice, and that is very exciting for me. Um, I really didn't take in all that much. I, I listened and I took in some things, but um, I'm better like in small groups and um, the other and I did get a lot out of the small groups at the vision meeting. The other thing I wanted to say is I I notice at meetings that themes come about and one of the themes that I hear so far is gratitude um, for the people that started this program history going over some of the history and also the grave nature of this disease and That's what I've been fighting with. Um, It's like I'm abstinent all day since Friday night. I've been abstinent. But right before I go to bed, I get this little bing, and it's like I think I should go out and get, you know, A, B, or C. And it's been in the past that I've been, middle of the night, worst neighborhood in New Jersey at the only drugstore store that's open and with an armed guard in there going in to get something because it's a holiday and the other stores are unopened nuts things that are completely nuts and to get out of my house now I would have had to sneak away from my kids and go out and I said to myself just go to bed and I did it's been the last few nights I've been white knuckling it and I'm starting with a new sponsor. Yesterday, she gave me, you know, an assignment. I had to call three recovered people to give me um, their their favorite paragraph in the doctor's opinion. It ended up I talked to seven people because when I called, sometimes people weren't home. Four people picked the same paragraph about the cycle of abuse, um, you know, starting irrit- being irritable, restless, and discontented. Starting again to eat and then the whole cycle and the other ones picked allergy of the body and obsession of the mind So I figured that this is the way I I say like some people you could tell them Gently and some people have to be banged over the head and I think God wanted to tell me something through those seven people that those are the things that I should realize Um, I'm grateful to be here and with that I'll pass
0: Thank you so much, Elise M. Okay, who else would like to comment on this paragraph? We're on page XV, starting with the spark, that one paragraph went over to page XVI.
5: Reggie o. Nancy
0: R. Reva P. Reggie O. Nancy R. Uh, Ruth H. Reva P. Jessica O. Kim, Kim Ruth H. Thank you. Ruth H. Craig okay. F. Okay, let's go with, um, so I have Reggie O, Nancy R, and I believe it was Reva P, Vasa O, Kim G, Ruth H, and Craig F. Okay, go ahead, please, Reggie.
11: Thank you. Thank you so much for your service this morning. So grateful to be here with everyone who's on the call and uh, You know, I was thinking reading this that even when I was going up through elementary and high school and college, I never wanted to, I never was interested in history, you know, it's just, I just did the history that I could get by with, you know, and uh, so I could get to the things that I really wanted to get to, which was the immediate, you know, and um, but i have come in vision i have come so much to appreciate the history of where we where i came from you know and where so many of us came from here and what has enabled a vision for you to be possible and that is you know uh started a long time ago you know i I'm, and i too i have an amazing amount of gratitude for uh, the oxford group for ebby thatcher for the doctor for you know all all those who came before us and this morning i was thinking it's it's like a family you know it's kind of like a family history in a certain way and a family history you know that helps me uh live is a is a in a very different way today and you know uh i uh, i started this very long journey in overeaters anonymous uh, before i even know that knew that oa existed and it was the morning that i woke up and i said to myself i am an alcoholic with food and uh I, but what I didn't know, and what it took me a very long time to get, and I think I really only got it when I came to vision, and that was the grave nature of alcoholism. You know that the that the doctor brought to uh, that the doctor brought to us. I uh, I I just did not know that you know this allergy uh, that this that when I picked up certain things and and uh, or, or even you know certain behaviors, which now has been added to the definition of uh, of abstinence that it set off, uh, it set off something in me that I couldn't control. And so, of course, it makes sense that if I put that down, you know, if I put down those things and those behaviors that I would be fine, except for the fact that the even, you know, the even graver part of it is the, is the mental obsession, which I can only, you know, which I can only uh, have the psychic cha- the psychic change which is considered you know the the spiritual awakening that which enables us to be freed from the compulsion and continue to be free as long as we keep doing the work you know so it's um, uh, the doctor gave us the very uh, foundation you know which is the first step powerless over alcoholism powerless over compulsive eating uh, and and then the rest of it, you know, and that has to be done, you know, the food has to be down, that allergy, my brain has to be cleared so I can do the rest, which, you know, which is spoken about here, the, the need for a person, the moral inventory, four and five, and we continue that with ten, and uh, confession of personality defects, that's that's a part of it, work with those in six and seven, uh, restitution to those harmed, uh, eight and nine, helpfulness to others, Um and the necessary necessity of belief in and dependence upon God that speaks to it all, but it's not you know it's not a one time thing it's not a done deal it's a it's a it's a way of life that I have learned that i greatly uh, enjoy and and uh gives me a really does give me a life and a possibility and way of living that I would have never dreamed imaginable and thank you for keeping my time and I'll pass with that, thank you, Reggie.
0: Okay, Nancy R., your turn.
12: Uh, thank you, and good morning. Um, my name is Nancy R. I'm a truly grateful, compulsive overeater. And I'd like to thank you for your service. Thank everybody who shares. Um, I love, I'm love. i a history buff, and uh, I, I really uh, think it's important uh, to, to, to uh, study history. The good part and the bad parts because uh there's some um people say experience is the is the best teacher, but there are some things I don't have to experience if I can read about um ways of not experiencing those things, and that's that's why to me history is so important um i in thinking about this passage i i i I remembered how oftentimes I would hear in o a meetings. Take what you take what you like and leave the rest. <laughs> and uh in our quest to uh attract and keep people, uh we would de emphasize the spiritual part. We would say, Oh, just a God of your understanding. Uh, don't 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 be excited about that, just get a God of your understanding. Um and and minimize it. But here in the press in the foreword, it tells us uh he was convinced of the need for the following things. So what do you leave? You, you take what you like. You don't want to do an inventory. You can skip it. He said there's a need for moral inventory. He was convinced that we had to do these things. There are certain things that are listed that I I must do, that I had to do, I must continue to do if I want the rewards of this program. So the whole the whole nonsense of me taking what – I want and leaving the rest, all I wanted to, at that time was to lose weight. I didn't want to stop eating my binge foods. I wanted to lose weight. So I can't come into the program and pick and choose those things that I like. You know, I'm I'm an addict. I have the brain of an addict. I don't want any discipline, the discipline that these steps will bring into my life. So the last one, the necessity of a belief in and dependence on God. It says that right there. And it's not my job to convince anybody to believe in God or not to believe in God. It's up to them. If you want what this program has, then this is what you have to do. And it's right there. You have to depend on a power greater than yourself. You can call it what you want, to, but if you want what this program has, if I wanted what this program has... I I had to find a power greater than myself, and I can't minimize that and uh, tell tell people to take what you want and leave the rest. Uh, taking what I wanted and leave the rest kept me fighting with this food for decades. But once I surrendered and uh, accepted the twelve steps, I got the promises of the program. My other uh, that that problem has been taken from me, and every day if I do my daily disciplines, time. Thank you. Um, I can stay in recovery. Thank you, everybody. I pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Nancy. Reva P., you're up, Up, followed by Vasa O.
13: Good morning. It's Reva P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. I'm going to piggyback on what was just said. This business of the grave nature, um, and then he outlines basically all the steps at the end of the paragraph. The grave nature, you know, at the beginning it was really easy for me to um, recognize the grave nature of the physical allergy and to acknowledge to myself the consequences of uh, physically what I was doing to my body. But I have come to have a very healthy respect for the grave nature of the mental obsession and to recognize that any form of disturbance Especially anger and resentment, um, and and usually there's fear under there resentment and fear those are grave for somebody like me. I cannot afford to harbor those um, mental states for a considerable you know period of time. And what do I need? And he says the word need twice, need and necessity. I need all of those things. He doesn't say that it's a multiple choice, as was just shared, and I can pick you know, two out of three or two out of 12. He's got all of them, four or five moral inventory, confession of defects, six, seven, restitution for harms, eight, nine, helpfulness to others, 12, belief and dependence on God, one to three, and step 11, like I have to do them all. And you know what, when I go through my first uh, step work, that's step 10, 11, 12, if I don't keep in that fit spiritual condition, I'm in a grave nature um, of my disease. And I also love the word relieved because it doesn't um, imply white knuckled abstinence. Relief means relief, means neutrality, means what it's says on page um, 85 or 86 and I need relief not just from the physical I need relief from the craziness in my head from those emotions that get so exaggerated that I want to self-destruct and the only relief and how have I been convinced that I need this stuff by doing it my way and watching how it doesn't work and watching myself get more and more miserable um, so I'm convinced, and I can't convince anybody else, but I'll tell you, the food is a great convincer, and with that,
0: I pass. Thank you, Reva. Vasa Oh, you're up, followed by Kim G.
14: Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for everyone's share. I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive over and uh, I am a forgetter. That's why I need to keep coming back. Back and back, you know, uh, I I love hearing about the history, how the AA program started, and how many other twelve-step programs have been born because of the, the AA program. And I never never thought in my lifetime before I came to Overeaters Anonymous I'd ever be freed from the food um, from the food addiction. It, it's not like I didn't try. Believe me, I tried many times put it down, pick it up, put it. I could never, never keep it down. I am so grateful that I was led to Overeaters Anonymous, and uh, I was given to this, the big book, you know, and uh, I learned uh, in the doctor's opinion, my sponsor also told me how the sugar was a drug. It was going to kill me if I didn't put it down. I had no clue about the allergy of the body. And I, it really terrified me because nobody had to diagnose me, you know, that I was food addict. You know, I could diagnose myself. You know, once I picked up the sugar, it, you know, the mental obsession was that over again. I could have one more, or a little bit more, and it would go into oblivion. So um, I needed to be 100% away from my allergy foods. And to be abstinent, to work the rest of the steps, and I really take took one step at a time for me to start attacking step one, two, three, four, five, up to twelve at the same time was very overwhelming and I said to myself i don 't know if I could do this, and she said, "You know we do this only one step at a time, you know one day at a time. I mean to me, just to conquer, to be freed from the Allergy to put on the, uh, the, my allergy foods was the, the biggest thing I could ever I never thought I could do it. So I'm so grateful I could do it like one meal at a time, one day at a time. And then many, many years later, I don't even think about it. I don't want it. I have a happy, joyful life without having those toxic substances going to my food. They, I, it's like cocaine. I don't want it in my body. And again, I needed to be 100% free from that to work on my step four. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass.
0: Thank you, Vasa. Kim G., you're up, followed by Ruth H.
9: Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So grateful for the uh, information about the origin of of our fellowship. And it says, you know, everyone's talking about the grave nature of alcoholism. You know, that was something that, you know, I don't know if I ignored it in the rooms or I just didn't hear it in the rooms. I definitely didn't hear the doctor's opinion in the rooms. Um, So for years, when I heard the grave nature of being a compulsive overeater, you know, we in our meetings would say, how many compulsive overeaters are here besides myself? I would raise my hand. But now I'm realizing what I raised my hand to was I'm fat and I don't want to be fat anymore. Or I'm no longer fat, and I'm terrified of getting fat again. And that is not what defines a compulsive overeater. I have to understand that doctor opinion teaches me what does it mean to be a real compulsive overeater. It's a twofold illness. Number one, I have an allergy that so once I consume certain substances—not all food, but certain ingredients in foods and behaviors—I cannot reasonably predict I'm going I'm to how much I'm going to have. And the doctor's opinion tells me that the only relief they have to suggest is entire abstinence. The only way not to have an allergic reaction is to not ingest those foods. The doctor's opinion also tells me I have this mental twist, which is the bigger nature of my disease. No matter how many times I get abstinent and that allergy is not being triggered, my mind's going to convince me to have that food. And what's the solution to that? That I'm going to relapse over and over unless I have an entire psychic change, which is the treatment of the 12 steps. So as we're reading this, I'm thinking my brother. My brother also has a grave illness called diabetes. And last Wednesday at work, he works with me, uh, my mom had called me and told me that my brother was very sick when he got home and left work early. And I just said to my mom, I said, I'm sure I know what it is. The so day after Halloween, Mom, there were tons of candy at work. I'm sure he ate candy. That's the, that's the consequences of a diabetic eating all that candy. And, of course, he's going to deny it. You know, if my brother, who's insulin dependent, decides to not take insulin for five or six days, he's going to have a consequence of maybe going into diabetic shock. If he decides only to take insulin every three days or, you know, intermittently, nobody is surprised that my brother would relapse. You know, my brother is an insulin dependent diabetic. If he tried to do what non-insulin diabetics do, my brother could die. I have to remember that with myself, that I am a real compulsive overeater. I have to be entirely accident to have access to the, to the steps. But if I intermittently do it, if I decide just to do it on the weekday and not on the weekends, if I am going in and out of the, of the steps and the fellowship and deciding not to sponsor or to sponsor, why are we surprised when we relapse over and over? Once again, twofold disease. And the solution is entire abstinence and an entire psychic change. What a miracle we can experience
0: if we do the work.
9: And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Kim. Ruth H., it's your turn.
15: Thank you, Katie, and thank you all so much for being here. This is Ruth H., so gratefully recovered in Connecticut. Um, this paragraph really spoke to me, too. I, I know when I started um, listening to Vision, I was not into history. I, I can remember years ago, my husband turning on the History Channel at home, and I'd roll my eyes and usually doze off as the program proceeded, but um, now I just can't get enough. And um, I know when I first picked up the big book, I didn't read any of the prefaces. I'm not even sure I read the doctor's opinion. I just wanted to know what I had to do, how you were going to cure me, how I was going to get fixed. And um, now I look at Dr. Silkworth, just as it says, as no less than a medical saint, um, because I, while I understood I had an allergy of the body, I knew when I started to eat sugar, I could not stop. I always wanted more. Um, I never understood the second component of it. I never understood that um, I also had the obsession of the mind that even though I eventually I would stop eating because I ran out of food or I was so sick, I couldn't take another bite. I always thought that was going to be the last binge, that The next health coach was going to fix me. The next self-help book was going to be the answer. The next diet or weight loss program was going to be my cure, my fix. Boy, boy, oh, boy, did I think I had power back then. Um, Thank God the the, um, first step taught me of my powerlessness and that doctor's opinion um, taught me about entire abstinence, as was just mentioned, um, and that I could work these steps with all of you um, and a sponsor um, who is recovered and become recovered myself I would have never thought beyond my wildest dreams that it could be true and um, on that I'll pass but I also want to say what just as it starts off here um, the spark that was to flare what a spark you all are in my life and what a joy and pleasure it is to charge this path with each of you so thank you so much for letting me share
0: Thank you so much, Ruth. Okay, Craig F, it's your turn.
16: Hi, this is Craig F, recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I I want to um, hit this uh, phrase of uh, the grave nature of our disease. You know, I I was aware of the grave nature of this disease before I ever got to program. the The doctor, the you know, the doctors I would go to would make me. Aware of that, I remember the first time I stepped on a scale at over 400 pounds, the doctor said, you know, you'll be dead in five years. If you don't do something, you're, you're, you're going to, she said that terrible phrase, you're drowning in your own juices. And that uh, just, you know, made me so, feel horrible. And, and, you know, I, I gritted my teeth and I clenched my fist and I said, that's it. You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to death. and and um, I, I don't want to die like that, so this is it. This is the impetus I need. I'm going to go on a diet, and I left that doctor's office, and I I, I drove past one fast food restaurant, and I drove past the second one, and I pulled into the third one and got two sandwiches and said, I'll start in the morning. And for a while, that didn't make sense to me, but, you know, what I learned is that I was afraid, and, and what do I do when I don't want to feel the fear I'm feeling, you know? I turn to my drug of choice, and and you see, knowing the grave nature of the disease is 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 good, but it has to be coupled with a message of depth and weight. It has to be coupled with something beyond frothy emotional appeal. It has to be coupled with the hope that there is a program, that there is a way to recover, and and so it, it's coupled here with the the. Um, uh, with the simple explanation of the program, you know, it, it says the doc from the doctor, the broker learned the grave nature of his alcoholism. So from the one source, but then he, he, it turned, he turns, the text turns to say, though he could not accept all the tenants of the Oxford group. See, from the doctor, he got the grave nature from the Oxford group. He got hope. He, he got from the tenants of the Oxford group, he got hope. And and the hope was that that if he did this program, the moral inventory, the confession of personal defects, the restitution, the helpfulness to others, and the belief in independence on God, that that he had a solution. That and so I I think it's necessary not to, you know, we can't can't scare people we can't get people into heaven by scaring the hell out of them. You know that I, I say that in my church, but the the truth is that we can't. We can't recover simply by being afraid of the consequences of our disease. We have to have the hope, and the hope is that that spiritual experience, that that, that, that dedication to the steps and the spiritual way of life can transform us and give us uh, recovery, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Craig F. Okay, we have time for one more share. Who would like that spot? PB. Okay, I heard someone, but I didn't hear your name.
17: Something Pete B.
0: B. Pete. Okay, Pete, go ahead.
17: Thank you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Pete B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater uh, in Pennsylvania, currently in New Hampshire. But uh, I guess I'm just going to jump on the bandwagon with regard to the grave nature, the the term grave nature of disease. You know, I, I'm grave, so grateful to the alcoholics that were here when I got here that didn't try to position the message to you know uh, it, I, I couldn't get sober on the promise of a better life i, 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 I just just for me i had it, I had to just be in a a, a a point I had to be at a point of desperation, and just the fear that life was going to go on like this or stop altogether. And I'm grateful for the alcoholics that were here that 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 didn't try to to masquerade what life could be like. You know, they told me that if I get through the day without finding it necessary to pick up the first drink, then that's a good day, and that's gotta be that's gotta be a great day. And if I want something more than that, you know, th- that that that's a benefit. But um, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about my experience in, in you know in twelve step recovery programs, and I I feel like. Um, we at times try to dance around this issue that, you know, that the requirement for sobriety and abstinence is complete dependence on God. You know, there was talk on this meeting about the idea of we, that this is a we program and we do this. The only challenge there is that we is human aid. And our literature says that we are beyond human aid. And I used to think that if I just studied this book enough, if I just knew enough about the history, the who's, the hows, the whats, that I would that I would lick my disease. And that's that's a mental defense. And our literature says we have no mental defense. You know, if I if I expect to, or if I have any hope of, of uh, remaining abstinent, remaining abstinent, remaining sober, that I must depend upon the God of my understanding and grow spiritually. And with that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you so much, um, Pete. Okay, and thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. Um, Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, Wednesday, November 8th, is 10649, that's 10649. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Lisa B. please read A Vision for You, Our Book is Meant to Be Suggestive Only?
9: Good morning. This is Lisa B. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick.